This is On The Grid, powered by theracetalk.com on mypodcasthouse.com. G'day everyone and welcome to another episode of On The Grid here on mypodcasthouse.com, of course powered by theracetalk.com. Richard Crowell and Dale Rogers to join us in just a sec. We'll wrap up what was a big weekend over in Perth at Barbagallo for the supercars. Plus also we'll catch up with Braxy and talk about MotoGP and Aussie Superbikes. So let's kick it off. Time to say g'day to our two gurus from theracetalk.com. Richard Crowell, g'day to you. G'day, Sebexter. How are you? Excellent. Dale Rogers, g'day to you. Tony, how are you, mate? I'm excellent. And it gives us great pleasure to announce, Richard, that the the baby's finally born. Yes, finally. Harry and Meghan, congratulations to the royal child. I don't know why we're we're talking about it, but uh, it's it's a great... (laughs) A great accomplishment for them both, I think. So, well done. Well, Well it's on the front of every newspaper. It's on the lead story in every news. So, we thought we'd better go with it as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And if anyone else Did they get into the hot power rankings this week on the race? (laughs) No, no, no. Look, it didn't. Um, (laughs) There was far too much hot from Barbagallo to get into the power rankings. The baby did not make the power rankings. Wasn't there? There was a lot of hot from Barbagallo. There's a little bit of cold too, and uh, let's cover off on a bit of that right now. Uh, Hot, of course, was number one for me just the weekend. It it looked fantastic. It seemed great. None of us were actually there. We all caught it the same way on the television. But uh, it it took what Sydney did last year, and I, I, for me, it just lifted it another level. Yeah, it was proof of concept, wasn't it? I think we all experienced the Sydney thing last year and went, gee, this was great. Um, can it be repeated? Is it just a one-off, or is it just that market or that track? But I think what happened was they, they took it to a smaller venue that could be better lit, um, a, a parochial supercar crowd to a, a circuit that needed an injection like, like Sydney Motorsport Park. It needed something unique, something interesting to to turn it into a major event again. Uh, and that's what it did. And, yeah, I, I thought it was brilliant. The, the whole show from top to bottom was great. You know, stuff like driver intros and that can be, can be cringy. But I thought they managed it really well with the cars driving around and the fireworks. Um, it looked amazing on television. And full credit to Supercars Media, Nathan Prendergast and the team there, because... They made it look absolutely spectacular because it was. Cars look great, sparks, brake rotors, glowing exhausts. Um, the racing was okay. It, they weren't thrilling races, were they? But, no. but it was all right. But it, the, the spectacle, I think, more than covered that off. Yeah, I, I totally agree, Richard. I think one of the things that was really good about this event was they didn't try and replicate Sydney Motorsport Park. They said, let's do driver introductions in a different way. Pop them over the hill in the cars, do the fireworks. They didn't stage it and bring it out on the pit lane. So the Ford thing of saying, yes, we're the lights, but let's present the whole package in a different way. I thought it was outstanding. And mm. uh, the place looked great. Uh, it is, a, as we talked last week, it is a bit of a ball ring. It lends itself beautifully to this. But, you know, I really believe that now there's a space for two or three of these in the calendar going forward on an annual basis. They shouldn't just be something that's an extravaganza. They should be part of the program because they add such a great dimension to the show and they mm. also showcase some other categories that run in the dark school in the dark uh, as well. So it, it, it just ticks all the boxes. It was a really, really good event. Uh, it certainly was. There's no doubt about it. And uh, disappointing for me, though, if we're talking about the, the race being hot, was the crowd. I, I, just the pictures, it didn't look good crowd-wise. Well, Friday was was not good, and it looked bad on TV, especially from the, the drone cam. Yes, ironically, because the drone cam was that's the best use of a drone that they've since they've, they've been using it for just under two years now in supercars. And that's their best use of a drone ever. It was outstanding, but on Friday it was down. Saturday was definitely up, and look, they announced that the, the three day total was up twenty three percent on last year, and, and Saturday looked really good. The hill was fuller. Saturday than it's been at Barbagallo for three or four years. Yeah. And that, that's the, the key indication, I suppose, of of all of that. And, and Mark touched on that in the show last week that um, 
since they put that pit lane in the middle, often the hill's been quite empty directly behind it because obviously you can't see the start finish line anymore from much of that hill. So that that was positive. I, I wonder though, boys, if it hasn't led credence to the fact that maybe these should be, if not single day shows, two day shows. Run Friday, Saturday night, make your your main race, or change the format up and have two races in in quick succession on Saturday night. Have it all run and done under lights, bang bang, pack the place out for one night. Which is what they had in Sydney last year, didn't they? It was yeah, a two day show. But the, the, well, yeah, and it was, but the criticism of that was that the one 300k race was too long yes. for that. So maybe, maybe mix it up, do two 150ks instead of the 120, or do 100 and 150, or do a really short sprint race like that 50ks and then a 120k race. Mix it up a bit, but maybe it needs to be, all the focus needs to be on a Saturday night show. I, I don't know, but I think the fact that the crowds have been so good on the Saturday for both of these shows, TV ratings back that up as well. Um, I wonder if that's the way to go. Yeah, I hate to say it, but I've been going to Barbagello since <coughs> Dick Johnson and John Bow were going around in Sierras. And, and I've seen the ebb and flow there. Mm. And, you know, there has been days when, you know, it, it was 40 minutes to get out of the gate and there were mm. days when you could just drive out. So it's gone through the whole lot. I agree. I thought the Saturday crowd looked pretty good. It was certainly better than what it, what it, it's been in recent times. One of the things that has helped a bit, I know we've criticised the in, inboard pits, but there's no longer corporate hospitality on top of those pits, yeah, which there right. was in the first that's couple true. of years, which which you couldn't see either way. So that's yeah. not there anymore. So it's it's negated some of that because they've improved the facilities both at Turn 7 and at Turn 1. Yep. But look, I, I think that you're right, <coughs> Richard. I think the the, um, the the Thursday night was was yes. I, I know it was it was a three day program. Basically, it was a waste. You could do it on Friday. You've got the time to do it. Um, and the, the the Saturday thing seems to be the the right recipe. Uh, we, we were all at uh, Sydney Motorsport Park last year, and you know it, it was the it was the biggest crowd in Sydney on the weekend of any sporting event. Yeah. So not a not a bad result for them. And I think it, it can be in Perth. And, and the idea of of you know two one fifties park Ferme, you know you can throw all that into the mix, um, progressive grid, you know, whatever you like, but make the show. But uh, you, you know I don't think we can go back to these twenty twenty lap sprint races because the cars no. just don't work in that format. They've got to be two races of substance where the pit yep. stop comes into play. But I think you're right. Saturday seems to be uh, struck a chord. It's something very different on a Saturday night. Yeah, and you, you definitely could have run two. You could run. You know, two really serious races on the, you know, one just at dusk, one in the one in the night, um, and really probably pound it in. But I think the shorter program may well be the answer. It gives the punters a lot more to see in a shorter amount of time. And we've, we've talked about this about on track entertainment, which we, you know, we, we we don't see at places like Albert Park and and even sometimes in Adelaide. Mm. Um, but it's it, it it needs that. But I think they're not far off getting this formula really really right. Not. I think the crowd on Saturday, look, they'd have to be happy with because the crowds in recent years have really, really been down. Yeah, it's been the worry for that event because it's been such a stronghold for so long and there are lots of hardcore supercar fans over in that part of the world. I, I think it's got to be the Speedway model and, and it's the model that, that Big Bash Cricket has, I suppose, reinvented yep. in in that sport and, and certainly the footies had down pat for a, a Friday night or a Saturday night. You know, you can... You get down to a big bash game, you're there for a couple of hours and you go home. Motor racing's always going to be longer than that. I, I think people get it, but it, it, I was talking to a couple of locals, um, a couple of vendors who had stalls there, and they were saying one of the, the quirks of the weekend was that people were arriving at sort of two or three in the afternoon. So they yeah. were skipping lunch at the track. They, they'd get there after lunch, they'd have dinner at the track. Yeah and then watch the race and then go home, or some of them stay for the GTs afterwards. I actually don't mind running the race afterwards, and it works in Perth um, because the supercars finish at 8.30. You can afford to run to 9.30, 10 o'clock for the real diehards who want to stay there or, or wait for the traffic to get out. That kind of works, and it, it's irrelevant for TV either way. Um, the Perth stuff works for time zones. The other thing that's worth thinking about, and you, you can't rule your life, uh, and be dictated by football schedules. But on Saturday night, they're up against the Eagles yeah, playing at home. Correct. And the Eagles yeah. got 40, 47,500 to Optus Stadium. So to, for the supercars to get what they got, I reckon, is pretty impressive because we know there's crossover 
between footy fans yep. and motor racing fans. So, you know, it's like running the Sandown 500 in September against football finals in Melbourne. It's the same deal. So this is why they've been so keen to try and move at least some of the season out of football season. And it's events like this, I think, that would work best move to a November date or a January date or somewhere where they're not going to come up against the Eagles. And that's where your, your crowds will build and your ratings as well. Then they'll come yeah, up well, against a big bash game. So you've got, you've got the chance to run that in. Uh, you know, it becomes three hours behind here. So you've got mm. some time issues. But um, you're, I mean, the, the problem is, of course, is when supercars release their calendar around September, October time, they have no idea what the football calendar, the AFL football calendar looks like. Um, I, I'd be suggesting that Sean Cena might want to ring Gillan McLaughlin and say, hey, listen, uh, can, can we have a bit of a heads up here? Do you think Gillan would go, who, who, sorry, what, what sport? <laughs> I think I think Gillan would say, if you're on in town, we'll put two matches on. Yeah, <laughs> probably. Yeah, exactly. Do uh, as the Mustangs were all conquering again? Are there people sitting up there in, uh, in Sydney and the Gold Coast at Supercars headquarters thinking, oh, my Lord? No. Nah. Nah, it's now, no, it's now, and and it was proved by the fact that the the only dominant Mustang of the weekend, and we've said it all bloody year, is Scott McLaughlin. And and if anything, there was nothing between Pickford and Triple Eight, and then just a smidgen behind that on raw pace, you throw in, in race conditions, the Erebus cars were decent, Brad Jones cars were decent, they were there or thereabouts, Van Gisbergen and, and Wink Up and the Triple Eight guys, as I said, but the, the shell cars were just clearly the best. So, again, new surface, we don't know. Night racing, we don't know. We still don't have a real form guide on this. And, and all the drivers, even McLaughlin said Saturday night, look, if, if I ran the previous aero and the current post-parity aero back-to-back in the same conditions at this track, I might be able to feel the difference, but he couldn't pick it. Um, and no, no one really could, and we'll never see those those changes until we get to a proper aero track. So it, it backs up, I think, without wanting to ring our own bell too much. What we've been saying since day one is that at the moment it's more clear now than ever that that DJR Team Penske are doing a better job. Scott McLaughlin, in particular, um, especially with that quality lap on um, on Saturday, you can't parity four tenths of a second in a driver on pole in a mm. fifty three second lap. You just yeah. that's just Awesome driving. That's all that is. Yeah, Dale, the, uh, Scott coming out today, Dale, and saying that he's really disappointed with all the parody talk because what he believes is it's actually taken away a lot of the gloss from the work that his team has done. Oh, look, I think it has, Tony, but, but this weekend threw in so many variables. You know, you had a track surface that was as black as black on, on, on Thursday and Friday, yet on Saturday you could see the grey line coming through the track. So that was changing all the time. Tyres were graining on Saturday, weren't graining on Friday. Um, Scott is without question the class of the field. You, you could throw him in back in the FG X Falcon and he'd be doing what he's doing. He is absolutely the top of his game. And I, and I don't take anything away from the Fabian Coulthards, the Jamie Wincups, Shane Van Giersbergens, but Scott at the moment, he's on another planet. Mm. Um, he is driving brilliantly, and, and Richard's right. You know, the, 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 the time that he's putting down in qualifying laps is outstanding. Look, I, I think Scott's probably been the only one from DJR Team Penske that sent a few barbs out, and I like that because I haven't censored him. No. Um, you know, in his first year with, uh, with DJR Team Penske, I think he was, he, they tried to Penskeize him quickly, and it mm. didn't sit comfortably with him. Um, he is his own person. I think they've said to him, yeah, you know, they want him to be Scott McLaughlin, and I think that's really important. So, you know, Ryan is playing a perfect game. Um, you know, I think even Fabian's playing a perfect game, to be honest with you. He's playing the political game perfectly. He yeah. may have other issues to deal with. But, if, look, if Scott wants to have a bit of a noodle, that's fine, because there's plenty of people throwing the barbs at these guys. And, and Richard's right. They are the best team. You know, and, uh, unquestionably they are the best team in pit lane at the moment, yeah. and the, and it's being it's being amplified by the fact that that uh, just on the triple eight situation, Jamie did a great job on the weekend. I think he, he bounced back pretty well. You know, Roland had, had served him up pretty well um, after Phillip Island. Mm. Uh, you know, said so they, they've got to improve that their, uh, their their side of the garage was down. But the one that's really, I've got a question mark over guys, and I'd like just to throw this in is I actually don't think Shane Van Gisbergen is 
performing at what you would expect Correct. him to be performing at. I, he, to, to me, he seems almost in this sort of disconnected phase again. He doesn't seem to... I mean, Jamie is out there wanting to kill everyone and wants to win. I'm not reading that from Van Gisbergen. Uh, my, my take on it, and I might be as far away as Pluto on this one, but I just, I just feel that he has absolutely no confidence in the car at the moment, and it's all due to the fact of uh, what's happened with the, with the springs and, and the like over the summer. Uh, having a, You remember the start of the season when we spoke to him at the launch, and he had a mm. massive attack at, the, uh, at you know, the, the changes that were being made, and I reckon he's just dropped all confidence in it and just said, I, I, just, I don't think I can drive this car. Yeah. Well, that, that, that's a cop-out. You know, really, you've just got to dig deep and work out, and that's what Jamie's doing. And, you know, Jamie, on Saturday, drove and qualified and drove a very, very good race. Well, I, I get the feeling, guys, that, yeah, that, that team, at the moment, they're either hit or they're miss, and at Phillip Island, they were miss, and at at Barbagello, they were half hit. They got the the double eight side of the, the garage right. They were better. And, yeah, oh, definitely, and and they, they admitted that, like, they're, they're Clearly better than where they are. Yeah, um, sure. yeah. I, I I can't speak on on the Van Gisbergen thing. I, I'm not sure. I, I thought, you know, the the fight he had in in race one on, on Friday night, race eleven of the championship. I I really enjoyed that. I love the fact that they let them race for that. After Jamie said, "Hang on a minute, Shane's not going to catch the guy in front. Why bother?" And yeah. say, "Oh yeah, right, boys, race. That's good. That was that was good team management. They've got yeah. their stuff together. What what I'm looking forward to now." that they're clearly making ground. And, and we need to keep in mind through all of this that, that that team were by far and away the most advanced in the multi-spring damper suspension setup. They were so far ahead of the curve on that. Hence their advantage over all the other holding teams for the last, I don't know, decade, maybe. Um, that that they've, they've been the hardest hit. So they're, they're coming from a long way back. But they're, they're such a good race team that they'll get there. I, I'm really looking forward... And we saw some of it on the weekend. I'm looking forward to the fight. I'm looking forward to them clawing their way back because that could now be one of the great storylines of this year's championship in the second half of the year. And let's be honest, it's going to take World War Three for them to stop McLaughlin from winning the championship. So don't even worry about that. Let's see what Wing Cup and Van Gisbergen can do in that fight. And we saw that on Saturday. With Jay, I reckon that's the best race Jamie's driven in a season and a half. Certainly better than anything last year. He was smooth. He was precise. He drove. He absolutely maximised that car over every single one of the 83 laps. And that's what we want to see. And as a result, he finished second. So that's what I want to see now. And and I reckon that's going to be one of the compelling stories for the second half of the year. Dale, is there a chance that Triple Eight and and other teams now knowing that the Mustang and DJR Team Penske are going to be so strong and basically unbeatable for the year. Is there a chance that they now go into development mode for next year and just start working on that? Do they give yeah. 2019 away? I think if they're running a Formula One team, you might be saying yes, but not in this game. Yeah. No. Um, you know, there's so much riding on success in this game. There's, you know, there's, there's, a, there's only a certain pool of, of uh, sponsorship available. Um, you know, we hear that uh, Red Bull are, are sticking with Triple uh, um, Eight for some another another extension. But you 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 start tumbling in this grid, and uh, you know your whole infrastructure, your whole budgeting, your whole resource base, and the people who are working for you mm. are a threat. We're not at that level, um, okay. and you know, and really, so, I, I, I think we need to remember as well. I agree that. What, Last year was the exception, not the norm, in terms of having two drivers like that battling it out for a championship until the absolute bitter end. So the last two years for that, because the the sport is cyclical in its domination. So you go back to the 2000s, and and we ran some photos on the race talk from 2002, terrible photos I took at the Adelaide 500 that year. But that that was the golden child HRT era. And that they yep. were unbeatable, absolutely yep. unbeatable. They are. They were then. We can what, correct yep. what Shell V Power Racing is now. And then we all went through the era where Jamie Winkup never looked like losing a championship, and won absolutely. what three out three out of four in a row. And, and Triple Eight were absolutely dominant. So the sport's <laughs> cyclical like that. I, I think we're doing Tickford Racing a disservice here because they've actually 
they've actually upped their game and they had big personnel changes. Cam Waters talked about it after the weekend. Massive engineering reshuffle there. So they've actually they've actually got themselves back to a competitive level. So mm. their Mustangs are probably where the Mustang should be. They're at the pointy end of the pack with T8, battling with Triple Eight, and in front of most of the other Holden teams. And that strikes me as about where they should probably be based on their priors in the past. It's just that at the moment we're going through that period where the Red Mustangs are overly dominant and um, and they're the best outfit with the best drivers in the business. They did a very good job in Perth. I, I, I was particularly impressed by the way that Cam Waters and Will Davidson actually raced. Mm. They, they they overtook a lot of cars. They, they Obviously, the, you know, the pit stop strategy didn't put them back into the air. Perhaps they wanted to be in. Uh, but their racing on the weekend was outstanding, and and um, you know there's and, and not taking away from Chaz, but obviously he had, he had his engine problems on on Saturday. But <clears throat> those three cars definitely, and, and look, and, and to 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 his credit, Lee Holdsworth uh, drove up uh, past nearly 13 cars to get in yeah. the top 10 on Saturday as well. Did a great job, but I, I was particularly impressed with uh, with with Will Davidson and Cam Waters. Will Davidson's got uh, his mojo back. Don't make no mistake about it. He's not far off a big result, I don't think. Uh, so you're cost. absolutely right, Richard. Tickford, the Tickford cars, they're not far off the mark. The difference is is that they can go to a track and get a bit lost and mm. then come to the next track and they're on it, and that is not happening with the team from Stapleton. Yeah. The uh, the other one, we, of course, we found out a couple of days before race day that uh, Jack LeBrock was going to keep his spot with the uh, techno crew for the remainder of the year. Was that a good thing for Jack or bad? Oh. Well... And the messaging in this has been absolutely befuddling over the process because it's now a well-known fact within the industry, and, and they're on record as saying it, that that car has got a several-generation-old Triple Eight front end, and yep. the front end in these cars as we, has been made more than apparent this season over the first five events. It is absolutely critical in extracting the performance out of them, and, and they're absolutely nowhere as an outfit. And yet their messaging has been that then they're disappointed in the driver and the driver needs experience and we think Jack can perform better. Well, I dived onto the old results website over the weekend and to my surprise, saw Barbagello 2018 and Jack LeBrock qualified 10th for the Sunday race. 10th. <laughs> yeah. I mean, McLaughlin was on pole by light years and but he was only four or five tenths away from the front row. Like, in a 25-car field on the weekend... Jack LeBrock was lucky to qualify 28. Yeah. So that's not driver for mine. Richard, the driver proved that he could do the job. Richard, the difference is, of course, is that Scott McLaughlin came back with a new Mustang. Jack LeBrock went back with the same car. Well, yeah, and one that hasn't evolved at all, even in comparison to the other holders. It would be the same way it left Barbagello last year. So, you know, apart from being clean with some new stickers... Mm. So I agree. I think Jack LeBrock is a talent. And uh, but Tony, to answer your question, um, the only way you're going to you're going to get on with this business is you've got to be driving race cars. And yep. uh, so, if he's done the right thing, absolutely he's done the right thing because this is going to be a year where, it come September, October, around Bathurst time, uh, you know, you, you watch a Bathurst for the people walking in and out of transporters. There's going to be some movement here this year. And, and you know, look, I don't think anyone that's in the know in the pit lane. Uh, underrates Jack LeBrock. He is one of the yeah. better young guys that's come through. Um, a lot of these guys end up in terrible situations. Ash Walsh got spat out of Erebus after about, about you know ten races. Mm. Um, you know, so it, it's it's not unusual. I think he's done exactly the right thing, and and, and the people in the know know what he's got to deal with, and, and know he's working, and he's a very 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 good talent, very formidable young guy. So the the other one I'd like to just raise, Tony, if I can, is the uh, the rather extraordinary. Um, uh, communicate from Walkinshaw and Andretti United that suggested that uh, they're really sorry about how badly they're doing, and uh, you know, we're, we're all you know, running around the flagpole and hanging there because we're doing great, which I found extraordinary on Sunday. I, I just don't know why a team would do that. Mm. Um, they are not doing great, and they are, um, by their own words, not acceptable. It's completely not acceptable because they have got great machinery. Uh, they've got, they've always built good engines. They are so far off the mark, um, and I think they've got a driver that's, you know, not very interested either, to be honest. 
Yes. Yeah, uh, it, it's hard to offer any praise to that outfit at the moment, and and they've gone backwards in what they were talking up their achievements for this year that, that they needed to become regular winners. Well, okay, within the circumstances of what's going on, they probably weren't going to be regular winners anyway. But they needed to be where Win Cup was on Saturday night, and they weren't didn't even look like it, did they? So. No. Really, really, really tough weekend for those guys and, and they need a massive rethink about what they're doing. They know that. There's no point us telling them it. But um yeah, that that's a, it's a big no no for Walking Shore and Trinity United. And and they are in, in the rankings of Holden teams, I mean they're clearly behind Triple Eight. They're they're definitely behind Erebus and they're definitely behind Brad Jones racing yeah. Blade Perkett at the moment, I think, in terms of one lap yeah. pace and, and indeed their execution over a distance as well. Yeah, they yeah. certainly are. Uh, boys, some TCR testing at Winton and uh, Molly Taylor coming out and saying that uh, her drive in the uh, for, for Kelly Racing absolutely blew her mind away. Well, I, I think it's one of the more significant driver signings of the year, Shebex, in any category. Because outside of supercars, tell me a, a racing car driver, yeah, and I'm discounting Daniel Ricciardo and Will Power, that, that's got a media profile like Molly. Yeah, so she's true. backed by a major manufacturer. She's on Fox Sports every other week with Bill and Boz and a couple of the lifestyle shows there on Fox Sports News. Um, she's endorsed by the governing body of the sport here in years as a mouthpiece for women in motorsport. She's got an enormous profile, big social media following. She's very good with the media, presentable. She can drive. So it ticks all boxes. Um, she's a great get. The TCR, she's a great get for Kelly Racing, um, and I'm really looking forward to seeing her progress. It's not, it's not going to be easy. We've seen rally drivers try the circuit racing thing in the past and it not work. Um, I hope she's different. I hope she has a terrific weekend and uh, a terrific season and and learns the ropes and is competitive with the other very experienced drivers like a James Moffat or a Tony Dalberto uh, around her. I, I, I'm sure she will be at some point by the end of the end of the season, but it's a it's a pretty good get for TCR. Yeah, it is. The cars look good at Winton on testing. I mm. say, I think yeah, they look sharp uh, you know, from from the footage that we've seen. They're they're great little racing cars, and you know they have now got a pretty good quality field. And importantly, I, this is a really interesting point that that Honda Australia have actually now. Uh, rattled the can and got behind the wall racing entries um, of of uh, Tony Delberto and the other car, which I think is is really interesting because mm. the, you know this is the first time a manufacturer has sort of stepped into back into racing in Australia post the Volvo era, etc. But all of these deals around the world are basically not supported by factories; they are mm. factory supplied cars. To customer teams, but Honda Australia are actually coming in and saying, "Yeah, we're going to rattle a can here." It's a good sign, really good sign. It's, yeah, certainly I, is. I, I don't. Sorry, Shabek, I don't Hang think on. they're tipping in an enormous amount of cash, but just the fact that that it's it sort of officialises it, doesn't it? It, it adds a, it does, yeah. A, yeah. an underline to those entries to, to have Honda in it. So, I mean, that's that's positive. They've they've been in and out before. They they had a, a, an involvement in rallying for some time as well. So, I think it's good to see. And that, that's what TCR does is that, and, and to be fair, it's probably the model that supercars should have. It, it's like the British Touring Car Championship that yeah. as long as the manufacturer signs off on the bodywork and someone wants to make it, you don't necessarily need to chip an enormous amount of money in, yet you can get that manufacturer branding. So BMW do that with West Surrey Racing, Honda with Team Dynamics, the uh, yeah. Vauxhall are in there as well, car Jason Plato's driving. And, and it's the same in TCR. So... Hyundai can get a heap of benefit out of it without actually spending the earth in developing a car, a la Ford and a Mustang. So it, it's a decent model. It works. Um, it, it, you'll never see a works Honda team, I wouldn't have thought, at a massive level. But if there's some corporate engagement, if there's a little bit of marketing around it, then that's absolutely better than nothing. And the more brands, and we've always, I think we've been pretty pretty true to this over the journey, is that the more brands are involved in the sport at any level is only good for the sport overall. So, True. yeah, positive. Hey, how long before TCR ends up on a supercar round? Well, you, you just, the, 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 uh, 
I don't know if it um, can due to their media. Nick Ryan's already called for it. Nick Ryan's already made yeah. the statement, and, and obviously they're running four cars. And Nick said, you know, let's get let's get this together. Um, now, I'll, I'll I'll get it out straight away. That I, I some the the, the anti supercar brigade online going, oh, it's going to kill supercars and it'll be the end and this is the future. That's that's all rubbish. It won't be until they can get a two hundred and fifty million dollar TV deal. Good luck to them. But does the SBS deal though stop them from running on supercars? Sorry, does the SBS deal stop them from running on supercars? Well, I mean that, that would obviously be an issue that would get around it, but but there. I, I don't think that's a, an enormously well-funded TV deal, Chebex, to be brutally honest. Yeah. They, they would be... But it's a TV deal that they have. That. Yeah. Yeah, but that's that's one year. So we're not talking this season. Their calendar's set with Shannon's Nationals. <clears throat> I, I reckon Cam's will be very keen to keep them on their own program with Shannon's Nationals, r- rightly so, because it'll be a headline act and it might bring some people through the gate. But I would have thought that supercars would like to have them at some point, especially when it gets established, especially... We're just talking about Honda. If more brands like that start yeah. reaching into their pockets, yeah, no, very well, true. Perhaps what they could do is they could actually go to Cairns and say, "Look, we'll give you a category if you'll give you one of ours because he's super huge. You can have the whole goddamn thing, <laughs> and uh, we'll have a crack at." Super. I hope for. I hope in the early years the TCR does not go on the supercar calendar. I, I, I think it's got a. You know, we've we've talked a bit about it. This is really a, a a journey of establishment, and uh, you know it needs to it needs to find its feet. It needs to find its customer base. It needs to get the fans. I think they've you know they've done well to get some really good name drivers in there. You know they haven't got Scott McLaughlin, but the Tony Albertos, the James Moffats, uh, they, they're good names. You know it's good to have them in there. Um, but I, I would hope that 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 we don't absorb this into the supercars calendar because. If it does kick, and, and down the track, if S5000 kicks, it does then deliver a really, really str- a stronger second motor racing series that comes around to your city uh, yeah. rather than everything being counted onto a supercar's calendar. That's yeah. true. Like, like we had with Pro Car and yeah. Super Touring at various points in the history. Yeah. So, yeah. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Very quickly, boys, because we're running out of time. Richard, this one's for you. Uh, some great uh, work over the weekend from a couple of old Porsche boys in Jackson Evans and Matt Campbell, and uh, we've got four of them running around this weekend in the Mobile Super Cup. Yeah, it's very exciting what, what our bloke's doing overseas, Shebex, at the moment. So Jackson Evans, Porsche Carrera Cup Australia champion last year, third in both races uh, at Hockenheim in Carrera Cup Germany, um, was was nobbled in race one. The car was excluded for a, a non-compliant part, was the word, that was not performance-enhancing, but in a spec formula, it's everything's got to be ticked off. So the, the teams appealed that, but they'll accept the decision either way they go. Regardless, Jackson proved his performance. The top half of the German field all do Super Cup as well. So that bodes well for Jackson being competitive in, in Porsche Mobile One Super Cup this weekend in Spain alongside the Grand Prix. Um, yeah, and then so he'll he'll join that field and, and follow the Matt Campbell pathway through Super Cup with the same team and engineer, which is a great story. Uh, and alongside them will be three Aussies. Joey Mawson makes the move over from Open Wheel Racing. Stephen Grove and Mark Sini, Career Cup Pro-Am regulars in a, a three-car Team Australia attack. They're all branded up with Aussie flags, going full patriotic for the full season in Super Cup, which is just awesome. So all power to them. Uh, look look for Joey and um, Jackson especially to be contenders uh, for outright wins and podiums in Super Cup this season. I think they'll win some races. And uh, the... The Pro-Am blokes will uh, contend for their class, I'm sure, given all their experience here. Uh, won't be able to watch they, that on Fox Sports as part of the coverage, Richard, but where can people catch that if they want to? Uh, racecam.de is the official okay. website of uh, Kirk Up Germany and Super Cup, and they've got live streaming uh, in Germany. You can watch it, It's good fun to watch in German because just for the full full experience of Porsche, but uh, there's an English, uh, an English stream there as well. So uh, plenty of places to watch, Facebook and YouTube as well. Sorry, Dale. And Maddie Campbell, uh, 25th outright and first in class at the yeah. WC round Spa. The great thing about the Spa race was that they raced while it was snowing, <laughs> which uh, great. is quite extraordinary. I, 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 the, the, the imagery, I, I've been watching it on uh, on Eurosports. It is absolutely unbelievable. It's nearly summer. To see the WEC field coming around in the snow. It was mm. it's extraordinary. So. Matty obviously had his, uh, had his, you know, the beanie on underneath the helmet. He's done really well. They've won the class, uh, but but an amazing race that uh, it went from snow to sunshine, and it was the track, the, the ambient was too, 
uh, degrees, and I think the track temp was about 14 or 15 degrees. So there was no heat in the tyres. So uh, amazingly, there was only I think only one retirement for the race. So extraordinary, extraordinary stuff in the WEC. In tradition of uh, Australians doing well in wet races overseas. Yes, we always yeah. seem to be able to do it. We always seem to be yeah. able to do it. Boys, uh, great work today. Thank you so much, as always, and uh, look forward to having a chat next week. Yeah, good time in motorsport, boys. Lots going on. So, uh, yeah, good fun, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how our boys go in Super Cup this weekend. And I'm looking forward to seeing yeah. the final edition of uh, Hot and Not, uh, the Power Rankings on the Racetalk.com. live on the Racetalk.com as you listen to this now. Beautiful. Excellent. Mm. How quick's that? Oh, I know. Yeah, we roll, mate. Ciao, no, boys. No, no rocking ground. See ya, boys. See ya. Uh, Thanks, Richard guys. Quayle Thanks, and buddy. Dale Rogers joining us here on The Grid. We'll take a break. When we come back, Braxy's Talking Motorbikes. All right, time to have a chat all things two wheels, and we do that with Mark Brax. G'day, Braxy. G'day, Tony. How are you, mate? Mate, I am fantastic. And I remember you and I, around about five or six years ago, was super excited because we had this brand new young gun called Mark Marqueth come onto the scene and he was blowing everyone away and he was just so good. Are we going to start getting excited about a young boy called Quaterero? Um, I believe there's uh, every reason to do it, seeing he's the, now the man that's uh, the youngest. Well, the man, he's still 20 years old. I don't think they call you a man until you're 21 or something, do they? Um, but he's actually eclipsed uh, Mark Marquez, who was the youngest man to get on pole position. And now that uh, Colorado's done it at um, the race in Jerez, in, uh, well, not in front of his own crowd, but uh, certainly in front of the European crowd, and uh, he certainly... Man, he's uh, um, yeah, he's really lifted the game to come into for him and Morbidelli to come into MotoGP racing in their first year and do what they've been doing um, on a satellite team and basically outshining the uh, the guys on the factory bikes. Yeah. Um, yeah, you've got to say that the kid's got a lot of talent and for the fact that he not only got it on pole where people would say, oh, sticky tyres, he managed to pull a hot one out of the bag. He managed to stay in the race there for a long time, uh, and following Marquez, who did his usual, got the got the jump off the front row and was basically never headed as he did in Argentina a couple of races beforehand. But the thing that Clotararo and Morbidelli would take out was the fact that they could hang with Marquez for so long, and what they would have learnt following him around that track as he settled into the groove. And it was only when. Uh, as he said, as Marquez said in the when, in the post race press, press conference, when the tyres went off, I knew I could go. Um, what does that tell you about the guy's mentality? When the tyres went off, yeah. and he goes and put the fastest laps of the racing. Whereas Quattararo, mate, I was nearly in tears like he was when he um, halfway through the race and the gearbox um, had a bit of a, a conniption and. Uh, Forced his retirement from the race. He was absolutely destroyed after being in such a good position on song to be a podium position after his teammates start, started dropping through the ranks when his tyre went off. But, um, yeah, I think it's really good for the championship. You know, we've got these young kids coming in. Alex wins, you know, he ended yeah. up second on the wall again with uh, the backup, his win from uh, the Encoda in America the, uh, a couple of weeks before. Um, you know, the first and the second in successive GPs on a bike that is all not um, not considered but often aligned, but now they've found a bike that says, or Suzuki's built a bike, constructed a bike that gets stronger as the race goes on. And uh, what they've done with the electronics and that is just uh, amazing, the fact that that can still be so competitive towards the end of the race when we normally see other guys dropping off at the end of the race. The other thing about Quadruero too is not only was he quick on the weekend, but then he's come out in testing and he's beaten the lap record in testing by half a second. So this boy can yeah. ride. Oh, yeah, man. It's funny because, you know, when you see them in the Moto2 and Moto3, sure, he'd, he'd had some good rides there, but he, he never won the championship and wasn't really one of the consistent ones that you had as a title threat in the championships. But he seems to have got on this bike and um, just really gelled with it quickly. And to come out and test him and do it again, he's put the day, the previous day behind him. That um, utter disappointment, you know, he would have been absolutely gutted of retiring from the Grand Prix like that. 
but he's going to go to, um, you know, uh, France for Le Mans in front of his home crowd. And I think, you know, the people might have been a bit disappointed last year when Zarko binned it early on in the race and went, well, he didn't really do anything. He hasn't done anything since then. Yeah. But Quattararo on that um, magnificent Petronas Yamaha, I think he's, um, you know, he's going to, probably he'll be right on song next week. And, um, you know, he's in a position now. He's, uh, where is he in the points? He's getting, oh, he's lost a lot of points on the weekend. He's in eighth position, but um, 18th position, as a matter of fact. He would have been a lot further up the case. But I think we're going to see a lot more of him, and uh, I think we'll at least see a couple of podiums off him during the course of the year as well. Yeah, exactly right. Alex Rins, as you mentioned, finishing second. He's only a point now off uh, Marquette. And it was a good ride by Rins coming, starting in uh, ninth, I think, on the grid and making his way up into second place. That was a, a pretty good effort. Yeah, a very good effort, and, um, and to be that close, like who would have thought that you'd have a Suzuki in second place in the championship after four races? Yeah. Um, and he's in a good position. You know, he's he's out um, sprinting the the Ducatis that struggled again. They've all they haven't they've struggled there for many years, and their effort just doesn't seem to be attracted suits them with the front end characteristics that uh, you need around there. You know, Davisio is still fourth. Uh, and still in a good position in the championship as well. He's uh, in third position. So the top three separated by three points. And Rossi, who had a, proved again that you, in this day and age, you can't afford to be back on the grid. You've got to get the qualifying sorted. He finished sixth, um, and he's still on 91 by 61 points, nine points behind Marquette, yeah. with another, what have we got, 15 races to go in this championship. So... Uh, mate, anything's possible, and then you've got the likes of Petrucci, Bignali's had another, well, another good, he finally had a good race for the year that he managed to put a, get a good start, and then be in that hunt for the entire race where he got the podium. Um, that's given him a bit of a hurry up, and you know, like Rossi would have got, even though he didn't get on the podium, he'll look at his lap times and think, well, I was doing the same lap times as the top three, so, if I, and that was consistently throughout the race, so if you're get that vital uh, top three positions, uh, to, sorry, the top two rows of the top six positions, um, you know, you're in with a show. As, you know, we saw, with, like you said, with Rins getting off seventh or eighth on the grid, um, if, you can get, if you can get that good start and stay away from the carnage, then you've got a good chance of, um, if you can manage the tyres and you've got your telemetry sorted out to that, then um, you're, uh, you've basically got a good chance of being in the podium. If you can give uh, Marquette a threat to the actual outright win, that's another theory. Because um, I think now that he's had that little uh, whoopsie at the coder a couple of weeks ago where he fell off the un- unforced error for him, you know, I don't think uh, it's going to take a good guy to start to hold back Marquette, actually, because it's just his consistency that you're going to have to think of. He's going to be close to another championship. Sure, we're talking about the Quattararos and the Morbidellis and the rings of the world. But can they put it in week in, week out for the next 15 races? That's the big question. Whereas, exactly. you know, Mark has proven and it's just going back over old ground. And then you look at his teammate, um, Orgo Lorenzo, who actually went backwards throughout the whole race when he came out and stood on the soapbox on the Thursday and said, I'm at my home race this weekend, da-da-da-da-da. Um, you know, you're going to see me really prove myself on the Honda. Well, if that's his proof on the Honda, um, I think the... Um, on the bottoms and he's scratching their head and going, where's that concave? Where's the holes in it? I've got a, I've got a real concern about Jorge Lorenzo at the moment. Braxy, I, he's just nowhere near where he needs to be. No, and we thought he'd adapt to the Honda pretty well after the idiosyncrasies of the Ducati that people seem so hard to come to grips with. Um, you know, Honda's probably thinking, geez, we should have kept Danny on the bike yeah. for one more year. Yeah, exactly. Hey, uh, Jack <laughs> you know, Miller... Jack Miller was uh, he was fairly confident with Chris Vermeulen on Fox when he spoke to him before the telecast that he was going to get himself possibly a top five spot. He got up to tenth and then really struggled to get any further, didn't he? And unfortunately, with a couple of laps to go, came a cropper. Yeah, he came a cropper. Uh, racing incident, I suppose you'd say. I was a bit disappointed with Jack the entire weekend because um, you know he came up from America and. Argentina, where he had a fourth and a third, respectively, fourth in Argentina and a third in America for yeah. his first podium, or first podium since that infamous win in uh, 
acid in the wet in those really bad conditions. But he proven to himself in the world that he can do it. And I was expecting to get to um, a rep and really, like, you know, back up that with a top five finish. But he struggled the entire weekend. And Valentino Rossi was stuck behind him for in an ordinary amount of time during the course of that race, which actually slowed his um, charge down. Once Rossi got in front of Miller, Rossi was able to, you know, he, he belted off in the last few laps. He knocked up about three, oh, he was in, no, he's in 12th and finished six. So he got through six people in the last five laps. So how come Jack couldn't do it? You know, he's uh, he's on the same bike as what the Vicioso and Petrucci is. Yeah, correct. And, um, you know, they finished third and fourth. And then his teammate wasn't that far while well, his teammate beat him because he finished the race. Um, you know, um, but Miller's got a, you know, uh, no, sorry, Bagnaia actually retired with a mechanical problem that's coming back to me. It was late yeah, on Sunday did. night on the long weekend. Um, yeah, but Jack, uh, should a bit of over-exuberance, would you reckon, Tone, going in there with um, was um, Espargaro? Well, I think he just got um, frustrated, Braxy, because he'd been, as I said, he'd been sitting in 10th for... She was nearly three quarters of the race. And then yeah. uh, he just couldn't make a move on anyone, anyone who was sitting in ninth. And there was a couple of blokes in front of him at different times. He just could not make a move on him. So I think he just thought to himself, bugger it. Let, uh, either bid it or you know, win it. And uh, he, yeah, unfortunately, it was the, the former that got him. Yeah, and I think, uh, I don't really think Elise thought he knew he was there, actually, the way he went into the corner. Because. Uh, Miller saw that um, the proverbial three-and-a-half-inch gap, which is a width of a front tyre, yeah. and thought, yep, I can fit in there. And, and because of the nature of that corner, TV doesn't do it just as how tight it is, that final turn, Lorenzo turn. Uh, and the riders go in there to try and a really late entry to try and give them a bit more of a straight line so that they're actually almost standing the bike up by the time they get to the apex yep. um, and to drive out and get in on the fat of the tyre, whereas Miller's gone in there at a really acute angle and um, Spargrove's cut across his brows, basically, and just coming together. And it was lucky that um, Spargrove didn't come down with him as well because of the momentum that Jack was yeah, exactly. carrying when they went in. But uh, another learning curve for Jack, I know that... You know, we've got to get to um, Le Mans now, which is a very tight, almost a go-kart track. It's often been called the go-kart track of the GP season uh, because it's a few strokes linked together with a couple of corners and stuff. And it's a one-minute 20 lap, 29 lap, very fast lap over there as well. Um, you know, and Marquette has done it in the wet. He's done it everywhere there. So you, it's going to be take a big man to bet against him. But as I alluded to, when you've got the likes of Quattararo, Morbidelli, um, you know, Miller's in there. He'll be giving it a good shot. There's plenty of got rings on the Suzuki. Uh, he'll be dragging his teammate along as well. Get up there and uh, do a bit murder. Uh, the look, the candidate the rookie this year, another one of them yep. from the um, Moto Two ranks. Um, I think we're in for you know that it's going to be intriguing. And in the tipping comp I'm into now, uh, it's, uh, you know, from one week to the next, you just don't know. And years gone by, it was a pretty well you'd pick the aliens on the podium and you'd get there. But now. Yeah, you've right. got all these other ones coming into it, which is just adding that extra little bit of spice to it to put you on the edge of your seat a bit more. You're right. Very quickly, Braxy, before we let you go, right, we, sh- you go we should reach... Before we go off the Moto uh, GP categories... No, I was going to say Moto uh, 2 yeah. with Remy Gardner. How is he, mate? The yeah. massive how concussion. Lucky, how lucky was he? Yeah, um, it was a big uh, you know, big stack, wasn't it? Oh, it, was, uh, ter- it was terrifying to watch, and I think... He, what happened, he got cla- He had a bit of a clash with Alex Marquez, Mark's younger brother, going down the straight into turn one. And I think he's thought, geez, I've got to get away from this bloke. He's crazed. And he's come over a little crest of the hill from turn one to two, just got onto the crown of the road, and it's high-sided in the middle of the track. And how I had visions when I saw the replay of it, I thought that's exactly like what happened to his old man, but the re- reverse about... Uh, 25 years ago when uh, Wayne Gardner hit a stricken rider in front of him by the name of Franco Ancini and I'm sure Wayne would have had visions of that as he saw his son tumbling down the road and how they all got around him in that car and he's got me beat. He's, uh, you wouldn't bother buying a watch ticket because you just used up all your luck getting that out of that one. No, very much so. And great to hear that he's uh, okay. Just a bit of concussion on that. He actually wanted to take part in the restart but uh, was declared medically unfit to do so. So 
Uh, I'm not sure whether he actually knew what he was doing when he wanted to do that, but good to see that well, he's... Well, uh, that could be said about a few of them that throw their leg out on motorbike. <laughs> uh, exactly right. Hey, just uh, very quickly, Braxy, uh, Australian Superbikes a couple of weeks ago at the Bend. Uh, great round. Yeah, the uh, Superbikes over there, another, uh, well, impressive week- weekend. The uh, Aussie Superbikes and the supporting classes are going from strength to strength. Brian Starring got the Kawasaki up on the top for three race wins in the uh, Superbikes for the first time since Daniel Fowles on did it at the beginning of uh, 2017 on a privateer Yamaha. But uh, the Dunlop's really come to the fore there. He's moved into the championship lead. True Alliday uh, couldn't get uh, too many good results, but he's still managed second in the championship as well. And, uh, you know, it's uh, shaping up as a good one. We've got a bit of a hiatus over winter till... Uh, Early July when we head to Morgan Park, I can't see the reason for that because Morgan Park out at Toowoomba in the middle of winter is uh, oh. just a little bit risk. Yeah. But uh, no, we had some good classes. The, the production 300s were epic with all the racing there. There was 18 corners at the track, and I think on a couple of laps we had 18 positional challenges at the lead. Uh, every lap it was excellent, and the super sports. Uh, Tom Paris has continued his winning ways. He won two of the three races, but the local lad Nick Limington. 18 years old, he broke through for his first win, and his story is uh, sensational, and I don't mind um, shouting about He's overcome, and this is hard to fathom because he was 17, 16 when he was diagnosed with it, uh, having testicular cancer. Um, And he's recovered from that, lost one of them. Um, So lads out there, check your undercarriage. It doesn't matter what age you are that it happens at. He's put that behind him, and I think it's made him a stronger person, as probably would be if you come back from a confronting... uh, situation like that, but very emotional to see him get up to his first win after what he's been through and then to fight it back and get back on track, and which is basically a family-run team anyway. So there's a plenty of good highlights, and if you go on about the pages, mate, but I know you're a busy lad. Yes, we are. Back to you, got heaps to do. So uh, thanks for your time as always, mate, and we'll uh, catch you again soon. No worries. Two weeks again to Le Mans, so I'll be uh, dancing on the rooftops right then, waiting for it again. Lovely, mate. Uh, Mark Brax joining us here on the grid. Well, that wraps up another episode of On The Grid. Thanks for joining us, of course, powered by theracetalk.com. Jump on there and have a look at our latest stories, including the power rankings there from uh, the race over in Perth, the Perth Supernight. We'll catch you again next week right here on mypodcasthouse.com.